Galatians chapter 4. We've been uh, working our way through Galatians in the last few weeks, several weeks I guess it's been. We have uh, looked at Paul's question in verse 9, and we've been thinking about and discussing about uh, why is it that God's holy law brings bondage to the child of grace. And that was Paul's question to these brethren. He called them brethren. We'll see that even in today, uh, our passage today. But God called them brethren, or Paul called them brethren. He still acknowledged that even though they had gone into the error of believing that righteousness was either gained or kept by keeping the law, that they still were considered brethren up to a certain point here. Now, if they continued in this error, I'm sure Paul and all the other uh, brethren would uh, cease to acknowledge that fellowship uh, because if they continue in the error of um, heresy um, and lying about Christ, then I'm sure that they would have cut off that fellowship with them. But we see, and we want to remember back now, again, when people come in, I mentioned this last week, Sometimes people drop in and listen just to one message or view just for one day or something on the thing. And so sometimes I have to reiterate a few things. Remember now, Galatians is a letter written by Paul to these churches because there were men from Jerusalem who had come down who still believed that even though that they believed in Jesus Christ, who was the Messiah, and that he died, and that salvation was by him, they also said... Not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved and to stay saved. So your righteousness either to get saved or to be before God has to come by believing Jesus and keeping the law. We have a lot of people that still preach that kind of stuff today, even in sovereign grace circles. But Paul here has written them a letter saying that that is not what Christ taught us apostles that is not what we taught you whenever we came and preached among you. That is not the gospel that you received whenever the Spirit gave you faith to believe. And so now what has happened is these men has come down and they have, be, they have bewitched you. Look with me at Galatians chapter 1. Remember what Paul said. He said, "I'm verse 6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So if you're preaching anything besides free grace, besides sovereign grace, besides grace in Christ Jesus alone, if you're preaching anything else, that's another gospel. Okay? So <clears throat> that's why we reject Arminian churches. That's why we reject Arminian preachers. That's why we reject Arminian baptisms. All that stuff because that is a false gospel. There, they, The churches have no... Uh, no authority from Christ to preach the gospel. The gospel that they're preaching is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any ordinances that they might keep as far as baptism is concerned, they did not have any authority to baptize because they are not a gospel church. The only people that God gave that authority to was the gospel church. His church. The church that he began. Okay? That, that institution of gathered believers who were believing the true gospel and were baptized under that uh, administration, under that uh, that um, 
uh, institution, uh, they are the ones who are the true churches, and they are the ones that um, preach the truth. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. Anything outside of that is not. Okay? And so Paul here is saying, now be careful, Galatians, because what was delivered to you by me was delivered to me by Christ. So what I gave you was exactly what Christ told me. And now you're listening to these Judaizers, and these Judaizers are telling you that you need to keep the law of Moses to be saved or to stay saved. And that is not the gospel. Now watch what he says here, verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Anytime that, that a preacher or a theologian or a theology system or a doctrine or a church or whatever, anytime that they add anything conditional, any human works to your salvation, that is perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they say, to be saved, you have to do blank. That's a perversion of the gospel. The gospel is never, ever, 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 you do this to get saved. The gospel is never, you have to think this to be saved. Salvation is something that happened completely and totally outside of us, even, even our time. Salvation happened outside of our little time bubble that we're in here. Salvation happened based upon the Lord Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's what saved his people. Nothing else. Your belief didn't save you. Your works don't save you. Your law-keeping, what little law-keeping you think you can save, do what you can't, that does not save you. What saved you is the objective work of Jesus Christ. Okay? His work that he done is what saved his people. You're coming to understand that. You're coming into the knowledge of that. That's called conversion. That's a different story. That's something that comes whenever you hear the truth and believe the truth because God has given you faith to believe that. Again, God has to give you that faith to believe it or you would never believe it. Okay? So that's the gospel. The gospel is the finished work of Jesus Christ. You've been saved and you didn't have to do anything for it. That's the gospel. Jesus did it all. Jesus took your sin. Jesus took your wrath. And Jesus gave you his righteousness, and therefore all of his obedience to the law, the whole time that he lived, he fulfilled the full law of God. And because he fulfilled that, that goes to your credit. So you fulfilled the law of God. So whenever someone says, you've got to keep the law of God, you can just tell them, hey, I already have. I've already kept all the law. Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus fulfilled it for me. And that's in my account. And so Paul says that any other preaching is a perversion of that gospel. Now, we don't want to be mean to people. We don't like to, you know, be rude to people or anything like that. But, brethren, we do have to take a stand, and especially within our local churches and within our congregation, not allow that error in, okay? Not go to that error, okay? A lot of people like to go and listen to their famous preachers and things like this. Those famous preachers that are preaching error, we don't need to be listening to them. Matter of fact, the old Baptists, <clears throat> back in the 1700s, 1800s, if you were a member of the Baptist church there, if you went and listened to somebody outside of that belief system, that faith 
the doctrines of grace and, and the Baptist uh, immersion and all that kind of stuff, if you went like to a Presbyterian church or something like that, they would they would uh, exercise uh, discipline towards you, you know. And if you continue to do it, then they would withdraw your membership from the church because they believed that doctrine was so important. Doctrine was very important. We see that all through the scripture about how doctrine is very important. We shouldn't live just loose and fast. Oh, it don't matter, or this or that. Now, with that, we got to remember, even though it's very important, and we need to be very strict with our doctrine, how we deal with people in their doctrine, and there may not be, there may be error and things like that, there is a way that we need to do that. We need to do that with long-suffering, with gentleness, with meekness towards them. We need to... Uh, we need to uh, continue as long as they are open to listen to continue to speak and minister the truth to them and not just be uh, bullish with them, right? But Paul says here, he makes it very clear. He says, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let that person be accursed. And we had, and we said before, so sad now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, which is the one that was received by Paul or from Christ, let him be accursed. He says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servants of Christ. So what's Paul saying here? He says, If you're preaching a gospel message just to please the ones that you're preaching to, just to make it easy or to make you popular or to get more people in or whatever. If you're preaching anything other than that sovereign grace gospel, if you're preaching anything other than imputed righteousness, if you're preaching anything like do this or do that or do this to be saved or to stay saved, that's another gospel. And he says anybody that preaches that, they're not a servant of Christ. They're not a servant of Christ. They may think they are. They may look like they are. You might, they may be doing a lot of good things and be zealous for some religious system that you think or they think might be Christian. But brethren, anybody that is doing that is not a servant of God. Not according to Michael Smith, not according to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, but according to God himself. He says, you're not pleasing me. You're not serving me if you preach a gospel that is grounded, that is rooted, that has any bit of, of, uh, uh, of uh, um, works added to it. It's not my gospel. And you're not serving me. And why did I go back to that? Well, here in chapter 4, Paul, <clears throat> who calls these uh, brothers brethren, continues to call them brethren as long as they're under this correction. And, as, and if they heed this correction then it proves that they truly are brethren. That they come out of this in, in correction, in being corrected, and begin to believe the truth once again. They they believe these things. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So the gospel was preached to them. They received the gospel but now they have turned away to the law and the Judaizers. And in doing so, Paul is saying that's foolish. If you move away from free grace and begin to follow after law keeping, then you're foolish. And you've been bewitched. So 
See what he says there? He says, This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? See, the Judaizers were saying that it takes you keeping the law of Moses to continually be sanctified, to become more and more and more holy, to be more and more righteous before God, to stay righteous before God. But Paul is saying, listen, there's no way you can ever do that. Because here's your choices. Perfect or not perfect. That's your only two choices. There's no middle area. There's no gray area for you to hover in. Okay? You're either perfect all the time or you're not perfect all the time. That's your two choices. I mean, that's all we are. It's either perfect or not perfect. Now, if you try to do the law, the rules of the law stand. And what does the law say? Remember what it says? That you have to keep every law. Not just part of laws. Not just some laws, but every law. You've got to keep every law that God has ever given in that old law system. You have to keep every one of them all the time perfectly, without fail. And if you break just one, at just even one minute time, you have busted the whole thing. You've, you've, you have now transgressed every law because the law, it's not the laws of God, it's the law of God, singular. All those laws make up one body. And God says all of them work together. you got to either keep them all or break them all. There's no keeping some and we don't have to do these, but we can do these. No, it's either you do them all or you don't do them all. Again, no middle ground there. So if you want that system, then you got to follow every rule. And I'm here to tell you, brethren... You've already broken them. You've already broken them. So there's no hope in trying to keep the law. Or you're perfect. Now how are we perfect? Do we know people that actually keep the law? No, I just said we can't keep the law. We've already broken them. Every one of us has broken them. How are we perfect? We're perfect by imputation. Jesus imputed or laid to our account his righteousness. That's how we're perfect. We're never perfect because of any works that we do. You'll never be perfect. Ever. From the day you're born to the day you die, you're never going to be perfect. You can't keep it. Your flesh cannot do the law of God. It's impossible. It's weak. The law is weak. Because your flesh is weak. Your flesh cannot keep the law of God. And so therefore, to try to go back under that system is foolishness. You've been bewitched. To try to preach that is to serve Satan and not Christ. To preach that is to preach uh, a, a cursing upon people and not grace upon people. Salvation is by grace and not by works. Whether it be salvation in its legal sense or salvation as far as your experience of that. Your knowledge of how you're saved. How are we saved? You know, I, I mentioned a lot of times, and I don't mean to get too far off track here. I've already kind of gotten away from what I wanted to talk about this morning. But a lot of times whenever I talk to people, we've had a few visitors that's come through uh, and visited our church over the years uh, and everything. And sometimes, you know, they'll ask if I can visit with them after the services. 
and a lot of times whenever I'm talking with them, I'll ask about their salvation. I say, well, how, you know, tell me about your salvation uh, experience. How, you know, how were how you saved? And probably 80, 90% of the time, they go, well, I used to be a drug addict and do this and do that and not everything. And I just realized that I needed to get uh, cleaned up. And so I happened into a church one time and heard the preacher preaching. And I gave my life to Jesus and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And I got baptized and, you know, blah, 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 whatever, whatever they call them to do. I said this prayer, uh, I become a member of their church or whatever it was, okay? Soon as they say, I did... I mean, I already know that they don't know the gospel. See, whenever you ask somebody, how did, how did you get saved? Or how were you saved? The correct answer is never, well, I did this. <laughs> There's nothing you can say that makes you saved in that sense. In that, in that instance, there's nothing you can say. The only thing that we can say when someone says, how did you get saved or how was you saved is Jesus Christ bore my sins and he imputed a righteousness to me I'm still a sinner but in God's account I'm perfectly righteous and it's only because of his imputed righteousness that I'm saved <clears throat> only because of his blood it's not you're choosing him it's not you're accepting him the Bible never tells you anywhere to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior but the Bible does say that you have to be accepted by him we have to be accepted in the beloved, not us accept the beloved, brethren. And so what Paul is tell, telling these brethren is, listen, <clears throat> you guys are going back under, they're taking the same, and we use the term Arminian, but you're going back to the same free will man work system that was already being preached. You're going back under that. These guys are disguising it as zealously obeying the law of God. We want to obey the law of God, but they're disguising the same uh, heresy that has always been is that you can provide a righteousness of your own by doing good works. Good works can never be done in our flesh. That's why we have to be saved by Christ. That's why we need His life and obedience for our own. That's why we need His death for us. That's why we need His blood to cleanse us from our sin. Because our works can never ever please God because the flesh cannot please God. And so Paul here in verse 9 as we've been looking at and then we spent several weeks in Romans saying why the law is bondage because the law is weak, the law is accursed, the law cannot be kept, the law is is a schoolmaster, and the law, all these things that the law is, and what it was intended for, but it was never given to make anybody righteous. And so Paul, in Galatians chapter 4, and verse 9 says, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? See, Paul even calls the law at that point, as it, as it pertains to the child of grace, the weak and beggarly elements. Okay? It's the weak and beggarly elements. This is not what Christianity is about. This is not what salvation is about. This is not what the gospel is about. The law was not about, the law and the gospel are not the same thing. 
The law was to show you your inability, your need for Christ. The law was there to condemn you before God. And now Christ and the gospel tells us of how we are not condemned because we are in Christ Jesus. He died for us. He's our representative. He is our uh, head. He is our um, uh, savior. <clears throat> and so we've looked uh, at that question of why did they desire to be in bondage again? Why is the law bondage? And we found that the law is bondage because whenever you preach the law, you cannot keep the law. Nobody can keep it. And so to preach that to people, to for them to keep for a righteousness, is to keep them all the time in bondage to the condemnation of the law. But we've been set free from the condemnation of the law. Matter of fact, remember we read last week that we have died to the law. We are freed from that. We are no longer under the dominion of the law. And so now Paul goes on. Let's move forward. I'm going to move on in our uh, Galatians exposition uh, back out of Romans. Verse 10, he said, You observe days and months and times and years, and I'm afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Now what is Paul talking about? You observe days and months and times and years. Well, he's going back and talking about the old law system. The, all the laws of Moses was set up around not only the, just the sacrifices, but all the feasts and the festivals and the Sabbaths that they had to keep. And if you go back and look, there was like 700 laws in the Old Testament that they had to keep. And these feasts and festivals, all these things that they had to keep were all the time. They was constantly having to keep this and do that. They had the weekly Sabbath. They had the yearly Sabbath. They had the um, uh, the uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost. They had the Passover. They had all these things that they had to continue to keep. But what all those things was, they were never intended to save anybody. Matter of fact, in Hebrew, we, Hebrews, we find out that God says even though he ordained those things for that time period, he never found pleasure in those and that none of those ever saved anybody. By the sacrifice of bulls and goats and all those other sacrifices that they did, it never saved anybody. It never was intended to save anybody. They were all types and foreshadows to point to what Christ would do. And therefore, there was no saving value in keeping the law. The very fact that every year they had to bring a sacrifice before God showed that they were not keeping the law. Okay? But he says, so now you're, you've heard the gospel of free grace. You've been set free. You're not under the law. You've been given a righteousness that's of your own. There is no works that is required of you that Christ has taken your punishment upon himself. Why now are you wanting to go back under something that all it's going to do is condemn you to punishment. And so it says, for example, ye observe days and months and times and years. Now let me just say this. Brethren, there's still a segment of people today, I've mentioned them before, it's, it's called, right today, the modern term, it's called the Hebrew Roots Movement. They're the modern day Judaizers. And not just them, there are others, even among sovereign grace people, who believe that we're still under the law, to keep the law, especially the moral law. 
And they teach these things and they bring their hearers underneath these things and all they're doing is cursing their hearers. All they're doing is bringing them into bondage. And Paul here is saying, this is what these Judaizers are doing. They're telling you to keep the law of Moses, so you need to continue to keep these days and months and times and years. What do they mean by that? Well, the first thing he mentions is he mentions you observe days. They had a seven-day Sabbath. Every Saturday, they had to observe the Sabbath, and they didn't do anything on that Sabbath. So from 6 p.m. on uh, Friday evening till 6 p.m. on Saturday evening, that was the Sabbath for them. They couldn't do anything. I mean, nothing. You couldn't kindle a fire. You couldn't walk very far. You couldn't do nothing. No work, no labor. And so, they observed these things. And even today, we have people like the Hebrew Roots Movement, who they say, hey, churches should be on uh, Saturday. That that's the Sabbath. So we got to keep the Sabbath. And so they don't do anything. And so they prepare and they stop whatever they're doing at sundown and they keep it until the sun set the next day. And they do all these things on there according to this Jewish Hebrew uh, law system. And just just a side note of my side note. (laughs) We are not a Christian Judeo religion. We're not a Christian Judeo religion. There is no Judeo about us at all. We are not a Christian Jewish religion. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ. The Jewish system has been done away with. Jesus, before he died, he said, I will leave your house desolate. That Jewish system is gone. We are not serving the same God. The Jews that are Jews today are not serving our God. They are not serving. They are not the children of God. They are, matter of fact, Jesus called them the children of Satan. They are the tabernacle of Satan. They are not the children. That's not, I'm not not being anti-Semitic. I'm talking about the religious system. I'm not talking about the ethnic people or the racialness of this thing. I'm talking about the religious system. The religious Jewish, Jewish system is an anathema. It's a curse. It's not serving the God of the Bible. If they were serving the God of the Bible, they would be worshiping Christ. And they would be leaving the law behind. And there are some that say, well, they are, they are, uh, they are these Jews that are, uh, Messianic Jews. They believe in Christ, but they still continue in this, uh, Jewish stuff. Well, if you're still trying to put the law in with the gospel, Paul said that's a perversion of the gospel. And that that does not serve Christ. If it's not serving Christ, it's serving the other Lord, which is Satan. You're either a child of Christ or you're a child of Satan. There's no middle ground there either. You're one or the other. And Jesus said that the children of Satan will follow and listen to what their fathers tells them. And they will not believe what Jesus says because their father is the father of lies. They will listen to lies and believe lies. They won't believe truth. So whenever I preach the truth of Jesus Christ out of the scriptures and say this law is abrogated for us, this law is done away for us, and someone doesn't believe that, 
If they're believing that, it's either because their child of grace has yet to be given revelation of that by the Spirit, or it's a child of Satan who does not listen to that, cannot hear it, cannot understand. Jesus said, the reason you don't hear my words is because you're not of God. If you were of God, you would hear my words. That's what Jesus said. He also said that you cannot hear because you are of your father, the devil. How about that? I, I, I actually used that very line that Jesus used just not too long ago. A man who was, uh, had come and, and, uh, made a post on Facebook about, um, uh, about, uh, God predestinating everything and that, uh, it isn't about our wills, but he is, but he has predestined everything. And uh, he came on and he mentioned something about sin. He said, well, what about sin? Is that outside of God's will? I said, no. If it was outside of God's will, it wouldn't happen. I said, God controls all things. And um, and so, uh, you know, he thought that that was crazy. Uh, and he said, well, then, obviously, if I don't believe what you're saying, it's because God is predestined that I not do that. And I said, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I said, if you don't believe this, it's because God has predestined you not to believe that. I mean, that is the truth of Scripture. And sometimes that's a harsh thing to say. Sometimes it's a harsh thing to say. Here, like Paul, he says, if you're believing these things, you're back in bondage. If you're believing these things and thinking you're keeping these things, you're not keeping these things. But if you think you're keeping these things, you're under a curse. You're being bewitched. You're foolish. He's saying, you think that you coming in here and keeping these Sabbaths is going to do anything? That Sabbath that was in the Old Testament was meant to point to the one who is our Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. What does is, what is the word Sabbath mean? You guys have been church most of your life. What does the word Sabbath mean? Hmm? Anybody? What does the word Sabbath mean? No, it's not a music group. All of you know there is a music group called that. The word Sabbath means rest. It means rest. It, Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our rest. We rest in Him. We're not working to rest. Sunday isn't our day of rest. Saturday isn't our day of rest. Christ is our rest. What are you talking about, preacher? What I'm talking about is all the things that were required of the people to do on the seventh day, they just rested. They just rest. They don't do nothing. We put away all our works. And, and they did that in honor of God whenever he created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested from his labors. So for them, for six days, we have to labor, labor, labor for God. But on the seventh day, we get to just rest and worship God. The other days, we're working for God. Working for righteousness. Working for this. But on the seventh we get to rest. And just worship God. And enjoy the day. Well, Jesus is our rest. We rest all the time. Every day is rest for the Christian. Every day is rest. We rest in the fact that Jesus has done it all for us. We don't have to do anything. We have ceased from our labors. Why? Because Jesus has accomplished our labors for us. On our behalf. Now let me ask you a question. If you guys had a job somewhere doing whatever, let's say that you, it was out digging a 10 mile ditch. You had to dig, 
You had to start first thing in the morning, and you had to dig a ditch, and it had to be done by the end of the evening. Okay? And you got out there, and you got your shovels all out, and got your, you know, post hole diggers, your rock pick hammers, and all that stuff to break through rocks, and you got your string that you line out so that your ditch ain't, you know, crooked, and, and all that stuff. You get all your tools out there, and you turn around, and all of a sudden, there's that ditch already dug for you. And you look over and say, well, how'd that happen? And there's there's somebody there saying, hey, man, I went ahead and I took care of that for you. Because I know, looking at those tools that you got, you wouldn't have made it 10 miles. Looking at your health, I don't think you could have got a couple of miles. It's a long way. Ten miles is a long way to dig in one day. I don't think you, you couldn't have done that. There's absolutely no way you could have done that. But I can, and I did it for you. Would you turn around and argue with him and say, here, let's put that all back and let me dig this ditch myself? Or would you try to get next to that and try to dig it another one beside his? That's, that's foolishness to us, right? We think that was dumb. We turn around, what would we do? Boom, we turn around and say, well, thanks. Appreciate that. Thanks. All right, well, here, I'm going to put my tools away. Sit down in my lawn chair and get a glass of tea and enjoy the beautiful ditch that was dug for me. It's no more different than what we're looking at in the gospel, brethren. Jesus has already provided a salvation for us. He has already provided the obedience to the law for you if you're a child of grace. He has already taken the wrath of God for you if you're a child of grace. There is nothing you have to do to work to do that. And so Paul is saying here, listen, Christ is our Sabbath. We don't have to keep keeping the Sabbath. So that's what the days meant. Every, every, every Sabbath day, they had to keep going over and over again. And it was every week, every week, every week. But then he says that you observe months. Well, what are the months? Well, in the Jewish uh, religious system, uh, they had all these new moons every month. Whenever the moon came full again, they had the sacrifices. They had the hearing of the law. And they had to continually keep these things. Okay, They had to keep these sacrifices. They had to come and listen to the hearing of the law. But brethren, the Bible teaches us that Christ is the end of the law for us. The Bible teaches us that He is the only sacrifice. He is the last sacrifice. Hebrew tells us by his one sacrifice, he has perfected all his people for all time. Perfected them. By his sacrifice, he has perfected his people. Not by his sacrifice plus your obedience. It's by his sacrifice. We look to his sacrifice as our obedience. And so there isn't these new moon things, these observing monks. We don't have to observe all the things of the sacrifices and the and the hearing of the law and all these things, Christ is that for us. We don't have to be reminded that we are breaking the law over and over and over again. We know that. The Spirit of God in us convicts us and tells us that we are breaking the law of God, that we are sinning against Him, that we have transgressed Him. But brethren, what the Spirit also tells us is that we have been saved from those things. That we have been cleared of all those charges that ever come up. So what we do, we take and say thank you. We say thank you for your 
salvation. Thank you for your grace. We confess our sin before God that we are disobedient, but we are thankful that God has saved us and has put away those sins that we are not held under those any longer. He says that, um, he says, you observe days and months and times. What are times? Well, there was the Feast of Tabernacle. That was uh, a certain time that they had to uh, acknowledge. There was the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost. Every one of these, Christ is the fulfillment of those feasts. Every one of those, Christ fulfilled that. The Feast of the Tabernacle, what did that type and shadow point to? It pointed to the fact that Christ would come in the flesh. The Bible says that uh, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, that he tabernacled with us, that he came and lived among us in the flesh. Okay? And so he fulfilled the Feast of the Tabernacles. What about the Feast of the Passover? Well, Christ. the Bible says that Christ is our Passover. He died for us. He is the sacrificial lamb of the Passover that was slain. Okay? So he is our Passover. There is no more need to do that. Whenever some people take the Lord's Supper, they say that that's the Passover. The Lord's Supper and the Passover are not the same thing. The Lord's Supper is not the continuation of the Passover of the Old Testament. The Lord's Supper was instituted after the Passover dinner was completed. So it's not the same thing. We're not having Passover. And I listen to, and I even know, uh, in, even in my own hometown, I've seen churches uh, there that they gather together and they have a, a community Passover uh, uh, celebration. Brethren, if you're a child of grace, if you're a Christian, and you're proclaiming Christ as Savior, there is no more Passover for you. Christ did it all for you. And to continue to celebrate the Passover is to be like the Catholic who continues to crucify Christ over and over and over again in the Mass. It's no different. All that is is the Protestant version of the Catholic observance. And both of them are Antichrist. So let's not do that. Let's not do that. What about Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost? Well, brother, Christ has also fulfilled the Feast of Pentecost. He sent down His Spirit, and that Spirit works in the heart of the elect to bring them to the knowledge of Christ, to convert them, to, to grant them repentance and faith, so that they would believe the gospel. And when do we see that happen? We've seen that on the very first sermon that was preached after uh, Christ's resurrection. Peter preached, and what happened? 3,000 people was converted that day. The Feast of Pentecost is also called the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks. Those 3,000 souls were the first fruits of the gospel dispensation. Moving from, moving from the Old Testament dispensation, and whenever I say dispensation, I'm not saying, I'm not claiming to be a dispensationalist. I'm talking about the error of the law and prophets ended with John the Baptist and the beginning of the preaching of the gospel started. The New Testament began with John and started going forward. And we see the first fruits after Christ's death. The Bible says that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abideth alone. But if it dies, it bears forth fruit. 
Christ died, he was buried, he was raised to, to life, and with him, all the elect of Christ was resurrected with him. And we've seen 3,000 souls that come to acknowledge that by faith, repentance and faith, as the first fruits. Then we see, he says, you observe days and months and times and years. In the Jewish belief system and under the law, uh, there were Sabbath years. Every seven years was a Sabbath year. And during that Sabbath year, not only did you rest, uh, but you also uh, left your ground. All the ground that you tilled and you worked for six years, in that seventh year, you left it alone. You didn't do any, you didn't toil or work the ground that, and you let the ground rest uh, during that time period. Matter of fact, there are farmers that still follow that rule just because it actually works. I mean, the ground replenishes itself, the nutrients that is needed by doing that. Now, what they'll do is they'll row, a, you know, they'll hoe a row of uh, places to plant here, but they'll leave this section empty. And then they'll work that and everything, and then they'll switch over to this side, and then they'll, they'll leave this empty for a period of time. And that way that the soil regains its nutrients and things like that and everything. So they use the principle that's there but as far as a worship thing, as far as a religious thing, the, the seven-year Sabbath is done away with. Christ, again, is our Sabbath. Um, on the 50th year, every 50th year, they had the uh, festival or, the, or the, the Feast of Jubilee. And in that 50th year, all the servants, all the slaves uh, were set free. They were given liberty and set free. Okay, if they had slaves... Every 50 years, you lost your slaves. All your slaves were set free. <laughs> Brethren, Christ has also fulfilled this. He is our jubilee. Whenever Christ died for us, he paid all of our... That was the other thing in jubilee, is if you owed anything. If you had any debts, all your debts were clear. That would be nice. I wouldn't mind seeing that stick around, <laughs> to be honest. Of course, I have to wait... One more year, or at least until September. I turned 50 in September, so um, that means all my debts would be cleared out. I didn't, wouldn't owe anything. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Christ has already paid all of our debts, so we don't owe anything. Christ has already given us liberty. He has given us freedom. So, observing these feast, observing these Sabbaths, these new moons, these sacrifices, these uh, um, Sabbath years, observing days and months and times and years, Paul goes on to say, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He's saying, listen, if you continue to do this, I am afraid that my message, that my gospel that I've preached unto you has fallen on dead ears. Because if you continue in this, this is a this is a disparaging of Christ. To continue to to continue to observe the shadow whenever the substance is here is ridiculous. You are you've heard the term, and matter of fact, Byron uh, mentioned this uh, phrase just yesterday. I think it was. You observe the creation rather than the Creator. Now we think that's kind of dumb, right? How come you're over here worshiping this? You ought to be worshiping the one that made that. I mean, this is awesome, yes. 
But the very fact that this awesomeness was made by this person, then that means this thing is even more awesome because he made that awesomeness. See, that's why it's crazy to worship the creation rather than the creation because we're created. All of us are created. Everything's created. The one that should be worshipped is the one that created all things. Not, the, not all things that were created. That's kind of dumb. Same thing here what Paul is saying. Why are you worshipping all the types and the shadows whenever everything the types and shadows was pointing to is already here and has done it? You're going back and worshipping the shadows and not the substance. It'd be like me going out here and standing on this porch where the sun's shining and trying to shake hands with the shadow. If you would go out there and try to shake hands with my shadow, that would be dumb. Because I'm standing right there, shake my hand. Why do you want to go back and observe the types and shadows that was meant to point you to the one who is to come to observe all those things for you and to deliver you from those things? The condemnation that fell upon you because you couldn't keep them. Why would you do that? And so Paul is saying, listen, if you continue to walk in this way, I'm afraid that my message has fallen on dead ears. not Or deaf ears, I guess I could say deaf ears. But dead ears. You're like the parable that Jesus preached about how the seed was sown and after a little while it, it, it popped up, but then it withered away. Or it was swept away or the cares took it away. You know, those three soils that, that didn't produce anything. See, the soil has to be made good before there's any fruit. And if they continued in this way and there's no fruit, now whenever we say fruit, we're not talking about good works by the flesh. We're talking about the works of the Spirit inward. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting Him for our salvation. That's the works of God that you believe. This is the work of God that you believe. That's what the Bible says. The works of the Spirit are... Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, general. These are all internal spiritual words, not outside fleshly words. And Paul is saying, you know, hey, brethren, if you continue in these things, I think what's happened here is I've preached to dead ears. I've preached to dead ears. He says, verse 12, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are, and ye have not injured me at all. Ye know how through infirmity of the flesh I preach the gospel unto you at the first. So Paul here is saying, he said, listen, I wish that you would be as I am. I'm trusting Christ. I am looking to Christ. I am preaching the gospel, which is free grace, sovereign grace. Now they didn't use those terms. We've coined those terms through time. They may have used those terms. I don't know. It's not found in the Bible anywhere, though. But we've turned the term. We have formed those terms. But yet, it's the same thing. He's saying if you preach the gospel, which is a gospel of grace, not works, and everything, and if you turn back from those things, you've not injured me at all. He said, "Listen, I, I hate to see you going this way." I hate to see you going down this path, believing these things, being bewitched, being a fool to believe that you can keep the law for righteousness. But he said, if you be as I am, and I am as you are, then you've not injured me any. 
Praise God that you have been turned back to the truth. Praise God that you have been back to the gospel. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now, I'll be honest with you right here, brethren, and I can take correction from anybody that wants to give me correction on this. I don't know whether or not this is talking about uh, the infirmity of the flesh. I don't know if that's talking about a problem that Paul had in his body as far as some sort of a, uh, an impairment or, you know, um, some people say he had a headache. Some people said he had eyes problems. Some people say he had a back problem. Uh, I don't know what the case might be, uh, to be honest with you. But he says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh, and if I'm looking at it in a spiritual way, I'm thinking about even though through the infirmity of my flesh, the inability for me to do anything right, I preach the gospel unto you at the first. See, I'm doing that right now. I'm preaching to you the gospel, but I can't preach perfect. I don't have perfect knowledge. I don't know everything. I don't know all of this. And even if I could quote all of this by memory, that still don't mean I have understanding of all of this. No preacher does. If you think a preacher knows all of this, you're wrong. And if you have a preacher that's telling you he knows all this, I'd check out and go somewhere else. That preacher is full of pride and boasting. Listen, I'm in ignorance of a lot of things. <clears throat> it's only by grace that we know anything. It's only by grace that we are revealed things. And Paul is saying here, he says, you know that through the infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And as we remember, Paul said that gospel that he preached to them was the gospel that Jesus gave to him directly. He didn't go and, and, and matter of fact, let's turn back to it so we don't uh, misquote it and that we don't... Uh, think it's just me saying it. Verse 11 of chapter 1. It says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He said, I didn't get my doctrine from a theology book. I didn't go looking at the commentaries. I didn't go looking at the creeds and confessions of men. I didn't go to some other famous theologian and ask him, what do I need to believe about this? What should I think about this? No. He said, that's not how I received this. He said, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, brethren, I'm here to say that the only way that you know anything, any way that I know anything of truth about this word, if it be the truth, is because of the revelation by Jesus Christ's spirit. I can preach all day long, and I can teach all day long, but unless the Spirit reveals that to you and teaches you that, you're never going to understand it. You're never going to learn it. It's not going to become wisdom to you. It's going to become, it's just going to still be foolish to you. But when the Holy Spirit teaches you that, then those things you begin to understand and you have that wisdom of God. And so Paul here is basically saying the same thing. He says that I have preached these things to you from the very beginning, even though through the infirmity of my flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first, and that gospel that I preached was not from man. These Judaizers are coming bringing you something from man. Remember, we went back to Acts. What happened? <clears throat> this became such a this became such a problem with these Judaizers that Paul and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem and met with the apostles that were there in Jerusalem and said, "Hey, we've got to we've got to nip this in the bud." 
these Judaizers coming down and wreaking all kinds of havoc in the Gentile churches. They're coming out here and preaching that they have to be under the law and preach the law, and they, they teach that these guys have to be under the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved, and that is not what Jesus taught us. And these people are being drawn away by these things, and we need to come together and be in unity on all this, whether it be me and all the other apostles that are out preaching to the Gentiles, and you guys here that are preaching to the Jews. We need to come together and we need to make clear that that is not the gospel. And that's exactly what they did. They came together and they discussed it and they said, yes, that is not the gospel. Matter of fact, the Gentiles never was under the law. Why should we put the law on them that we, us and our forefathers could never keep? Right? Remember us going over that? So, Paul is saying the gospel we preach to you is a gospel of grace, not a gospel of works and law. If you believe that, you're being bewitched, you're being drawn away. He says, you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation which was in my flesh, ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. So he's saying, listen, he said, you guys received the word and you received me. As if Jesus himself were here preaching to you. You was glad to hear it. You was, you was, uh, 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 rejoicing to hear this message. And then verse 15 he says, Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? You said you were blessed to have heard that gospel message, but where is it now? You're wanting to go back to Moses. He says, For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes. And again, see, he's talking about, man, the affection here between us, or between Paul and the Galatians, was so great. And they loved the fact that he brought them that message. And it resounded in their soul so great that they they were thankful for that. Even to the point where Paul says, listen, you loved on me so much for bringing this good news that you probably would have even plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. But look what he says in verse 16. He says, But am I now therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, the very man that they uh, loved for bringing the good news of the true gospel, now they were like, I don't know about that. And they begin to believe the Judaizers. And now they're thinking Paul is an enemy. We shouldn't be listening to Paul. And so Paul is asking, have I now become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Are you now going to be my enemy or are you going to repent and believe the gospel? See, brethren, whenever we preach the gospel, we're going to make enemies. Whenever we preach against law-keeping for righteousness, we're going to make enemies. But the fact remains is the revelation that we have of the gospel came by Jesus Christ. That is his truth. Listen, if it was Mike Smith preaching like Galatians chapter 1 says to persuade men and to be a pleaser of men, I wouldn't be preaching these messages that I preach here. I would go back to my Armenian days and preach those messages that I used to preach. Except the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Believe upon him and you'll be saved. If you'll do this, if you'll do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Raise your hand if you love Jesus. One of those types of messages. I would go back to all this ooey goo that everybody's alright and you just need to do your best to serve Jesus Christ. To live in community with each other and, and to, and to press into Christ and to all, you know, all this stuff that we, we use types and phrases and we use, you know, little, uh, TikTok type uh, mentality for religion. When the heart of the religion is preaching the gospel. It's not about preaching how good you are. It's not about preaching how good you could be. It's not about preaching how much you need to be doing. What we need in the pulpits is men to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have hearers that are not listening to G. And as we obviously see here in Galatia, now I don't think that we could fall away. The Bible is very clear that the Holy Spirit will preserve us and keep us from falling away. But that doesn't mean that for a short time that we can be fools and be bewitched by tinkling sounding things. And thank the Lord the Holy Spirit will convict us of that, teach us of that, draw us back into Christ. Uh, not into Christ, we're in Christ all the time, but draw us back to the truth. But brethren, whenever we have men in the pulpits that are preaching conditional works for righteousness, it's just a tinkling in the ear because the flesh loves to hear that stuff. The flesh loves to hear that. And we're going to see that as we go further. I mean, these men, they he says... <clears throat> They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that they might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. And as we go on, as we'll go on to see, we'll see that these men, the whole reason they preach this to these people is because it pumps up their pride. It boasts of them. I got them to become more holy and more righteous by my preaching. Ah, God forbid that we have preachers that boast in their own abilities that think that because of their preaching that they are changing anything. It's only God that does that. My preaching, all it does is confirm what the Holy Spirit's already teach, teaching you or taught you in your heart. <clears throat> we still need faithful preachers. God makes faithful preachers. They don't become that themselves. Listen, you can spend 25 hours a week, 30 hours, 50 hours a week in a study, studying, and that ain't going to make you a better preacher. It ain't going to give you the ability to change hearts, to change minds, to make holy people. All that's going to do is give you 50 hours of studying. We need men that rely and look to the Holy Spirit to give them the words to say. We need to preachers that will preach the truth, no matter how it's going to affect those that are hearing it, we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to pray that the Spirit would give us the unction to do that. The Spirit would give us the ability to preach that truth and to stay faithful. Because listen, there's a time coming, we talked about that at our men's breakfast yesterday. There's a time coming, that people, and the Bible even tells us, that people will not put up with sound doctrine. There's going to come a time when they will not put up with sound doctrine. But they're going to gather around themselves preachers and teachers that tell them what their tickling ears want to hear. 
And they're going to be in masses. There are going to be a lot of them. And as you can see, our churches that preach the truth most generally are little bitty, small churches. You can almost, you can almost, I'm not going to say exactly, but you can almost look and see if there's a big church somewhere, more than likely they're pandering to the people's flesh and not preaching the truth. Because the Bible says that there are few that are on the road. There are few that believe these things. We are a remnant of people that believe these things. And that there's not many that believe. But there's a whole lot going down the other road. That the truth that we preach is going to be rejected by the world. But if you find yourself popular with the world, more than likely, <clears throat> you're not preaching Christ and His gospel. Because the Bible says that's offensive. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. The Bible says that it is a savor of death to those who are perishing. Not a savor of life. So we must keep preaching the truth, just as Paul, even in these hard circumstances, and we pray that God would grant repentance to those who are being led astray by these false doctrines and false gospels uh, that are being preached, and particularly those that we can keep the law for righteousness. All right, does anybody have any questions or any comments? Anything that you would like cleared up? Or I know that I'm not a great orator or preacher, and sometimes I speak confusingly. Do I just make up that word? Good Lord in prayer. Father, we again thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the work of Christ on our behalf, his life. Which the Bible says that he lived in perfect obedience to all that the Father had given him to do. That every law that God had ever demanded, Christ fulfilled him did not break one law, but fulfilled every one. For all the types and foreshadows throughout the Old Testament, Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them. We pray, Lord, and thank you for the death that he died. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and we are all sinners. If we say we have not sinned, we have made God out to be a liar. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But Father, we're happy today. We're rejoicing today. But we're also humbled today because Christ has died for his people. The scriptures say that his name was called Jesus because he came to save his people from their sin. And that he did. He cried, it is finished at the very completion of his time here for what he came to do. He did not come to raise an army. He did not come to institute an earthly kingdom. He came to save his people from their sin. And all that the Father had given him, he will lose none. That is why he cried, it is finished. So his life 
and his death on our behalf, we thank you, Father. But Lord, we also thank you for his resurrection, for in his resurrection, not only were we, we resurrected and given life, not only were we resurrected and justified by his blood, but by his resurrection as well. By his resurrection, it justified the fact that God was pleased with that sacrifice on behalf of all of his people. And that everyone for whom Christ died, the benefits of that salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, repentance, faith, those are all theirs by promise. And Father, we are so grateful for Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection. But Father, we are also looking forward to Christ's soon return. We pray, Lord, that he might come quickly. The days are evil. Our country has turned wicked. More wicked than we have ever seen in our generation or in our time. Or in the life of this country. And Father, we know that you are sovereign and in control of all things. And have purposed all things and the ends thereof for your glory. And so we know that nothing is out of control. But Father, to live in this cesspool of society that disregards you, that hates you, and that evil is waxing worse and worse every day around us. Father, we look forward to the time when our King Jesus will come and take us away from this sin and destroy this body of flesh that has haunted us from the day that we were born with sin and death. And that he might take this world and that he might burn it away and bring forth in the new uh, heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Father, we look forward to our new home, our new body, our new tabernacle. And some would say maybe even mansion that you've built for us. The body that will enhouse this perfect spirit of God that will not know sin. So, Father, Lord, we are grateful for all that you've done on our behalf. I'm grateful for these brethren that are here today that you've brought. And I pray, Lord, that you have taught and encouraged them today, that you've edified them. For those watching and listening, I pray that they have been edified. Lord, may you be with us as we leave. Again, we also lift up Kevin again, that you might extend a hand of healing, Lord, to him, that you might be with their family. Lord, keep us this week as we leave this place. May you give us opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody that we're around. Lord, we pray that if there's any in this city, as we always do, that desire the truth, wayward sheep that do not even know that this church is here, Lord, looking for a place that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you bring their paths across ours, that you might bring them in, that we might labor together in the gospel, that we might labor together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, Lord, we just thank you again for your love that you've given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the life that you have brought us in the new birth, and we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather together and to worship you. And we pray that it has been a sweet savor to you today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen.